Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. My address, if you want to contact me, is askdell at l-u-i-n-c dot com, which stands for Lifestyles Unlimited, Inc., so it's askdell at l-u-i-n-c dot com, askdell at l-u-i-n-c dot com. We can get your you know questions answered for you. Today, my friend, we're going to go to the mailbag again. And um, it's curious that the emails that I have today, although completely different from one another, all seem to fit around a theme. And the theme, I believe, as I try to craft this into some type of organized conversation, is that if you don't have the peripheral information to be able to look at something like what we do here at Lifestyles uh, as far as investing in real estate, if you don't have the peripheral information, you're not going to be able to understand it or get it. And you have to believe that when we teach this stuff, We're teaching so much information, massive amounts. In fact, people say after coming out of a two-day seminar, eight hours each day, that it's like trying to drink water out of a fire hose. It's just impossible to get it all in. There's so much information. And that's just direct information. That doesn't even get into the fact of, you know, what do you think about the world? And so it's very difficult to not insult people when you're answering questions where the question doesn't make any sense. So I've got a bunch of emails here today, and I'll just sort of we'll go through them and see what we can pick out of them. So the first one says, hello, I've always listened to your show, and now I will do that soon. Now think about that statement right there. Whoever wrote this to me, I'm reading it back to you directly as you wrote it to me, and think of the premise behind that statement, hello, I've always listened to your show, period, and I know I will do that soon, period, but family. Now, those are incoherent statements right there. I think what they mean is I've listened to your show and I want to do what you're talking about, but I can't because my family won't let me. I think that's what they're saying. But I just want you to understand that as I work through communication with other people, some of the thought processes that these people go through, you can't follow, okay? Goes on and says, I have a property shared with my sister. I need help on deciding either to take a loan to build on the backyard of the property or to purchase another property. I have seen, parentheses, always travel around the Bay Area, parentheses, properties here are so expensive, okay? Now, let's take that sentence and tear it apart. He owns a property with his sister. I don't know what nationality you are. I don't know what religion you are. I don't know anything about you. But where I come from, and what my experience says is, I would never buy a property with my sister. Why would I own something with my sister? 
What is the benefit of owning with your sister? Now, I've seen it happen to people that they get into business with a family member because a parent leaves a piece of property to one or two or more children, tenants in common, meaning that everybody owns the property meaning that nobody can do anything with the property unless everybody else agrees, meaning the lowest common denominator of the human being in that group, of a human being in that group, is going to be the person that makes a decision, because they have the power to say no. This is an absolutely terrible way to own anything, and I specifically wouldn't own it with a sister or a brother. Why would you own something with a family member? I could see owning it with your husband or wife, I could see owning it with your kid, but why a brother or sister? That's a completely different family. Uh, he and his sister own a piece of real estate in California. Uh, it says here he's from San Jose, California, and um, didn't say whether they live in it or, the, or it's a rental. They, he does not bring this point up, but he says uh, he's trying to decide whether it'd be better for him and his sister to build another house on the same lot or go out and buy another house. And my point is, I would not keep building my wealth together with my sister. I mean, you, there's no way to separate between the two of you, and you're going to get in a fight someday, and you're going to have a problem. But irrespective of that, the answer would be, well, he's saying, but then he goes on and says, but the houses are so expensive here, there's, you know, his wife doesn't want him to buy a rent house because the, the mortgage would be at least $6,000 a month. Well, if the mortgage is $6,000 a month, the rent's got to be seven or $8,000 a month, right? So it's just all relative. However, very important to understand that my business model works in most normal areas of the country. California is not normal. New York City is not normal. So that which works in suburbia, that which works in smaller towns, that which works in most normal parts of the country, where people buy normal-priced houses, live in normal-priced places to live, pay normal rents, doesn't work when you live in some place as high-priced as San Jose or San Francisco, L.A., New York City, et cetera, et cetera. So, in this particular case, I'd tell him save up his money, buy something outside of that city by himself would be what I would suggest. Next email says, hey, Dell, have you done any radio shows that discuss the difference between a good tenant and somewhat good, somewhat good tenants? I know the background and credit check information is key, but wouldn't there be some distinction between the good and the very good tenants? My wife and I are relatively new investors. We own a duplex and single-family house. I think she might be confusing good with perfect. With the difference of $100 per month one way or the other, assuming we are cash flowing 600 plus already, affect whether we get good, better, or best tenants. All right, there's a lot in this email, man. So let's start with this. First of all, yes, the price makes a difference because if your price is too high, the only people who will apply for your place are Purple Martians. Purple Martians are people that you know, and I know, and we all know. We can't call them by what race, age, sex, nationality, or anything else. That would be prejudice uh, and would, would be discrimination. So we call them Purple Martians. And when you meet a Purple Martian, no matter what color he is, no matter what race he is, no matter what nationality he is, no matter what language he speaks, you know a Purple Martian. 
they're the kind of person that don't care about anybody but themselves. They all want to just take advantage of everybody else. They want something for nothing. They want your something. They want you to give it to them. They want to destroy it. That's just who they are. So we start with the basis of we can't tell by what a person looks like if they're a purple Martian or not, but you can sometimes tell by looking at their history. In fact, most times you can tell by looking at their history because they leave clues. They leave a trail of destruction behind them. So if they've got bad credit, you don't want them. Bad credit says, I don't pay my bills. I make promises. I will pay this car payment. I didn't. I will pay this rent. I didn't. I will pay off this loan. I didn't. Uh, They just don't do what they say they're going to do. So the bottom line is they got bad credit. You don't want to rent to them. Secondly, if they've got broken leases, it's typical. There's a thing called bad landlord's disease. Bad landlord is when everybody tells you, oh, I had to get out of there because the landlord was terrible. Well, that's bad landlord disease. And guess what? It's contagious. The next thing they'll do is break out of your lease and tell everybody the next place they go that you were bad. Don't take people with broken leases. Okay. Um, so you got bad credit, broken lease, then you have to be able to afford the place. So they got to be able to make at least three times what the rent is. And you have to be able to prove that. Right? There's got to be a way to prove it. There's paycheck stubs. Everybody gets paycheck stubs. You got to have paycheck stubs, right? You got to have, a, you know, everybody's got a tax return. There's ways to prove out income, right? Bank statements. There's all kinds of ways to prove out income, and you know, you might need two or three of them tied together to actually prove it out. Okay. Now let's say these that your tenants pass all those things. Okay. Now you're at a next level, and the next level is people are people. So people, some people are dirty and some people are clean. You go, is there a difference between a a good renter and a great tenant? Yes, a great tenant is clean. A great tenant doesn't break things. A good tenant, though, pays the rent and lives like just every normal person out there in the world, get things dirty, break things. I'm a clean freak, and I've lived in completely spotless type lifestyles. And then I've not, because I've lived with people that have had pets. I've lived with people that were not clean freaks. And you can't live your life cleaning up after non-clean freak people. It just doesn't work. You can't live your life keeping a place spotless if you have, like we have, three dogs and five cats. It's just not going to happen. So I've gotten over myself of living a perfectly clean life, realizing I own the home. I mess it up. i got to pay to fix it. Etc. 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 But as a tenant, they don't own the home. You do, and so you got to look at that situation. And say, am I getting enough of a security deposit to protect myself from whatever damages it may do? And am I inspecting the house, uh, at, you know, at least once a year to see if they've done any damages, and if so, charging them for those damages before I let them have another year on the lease, etc. Uh, but other than that, you really can't tell a great tenant until you've had one, and at the end of all that. Then boom. Now, if you could, by lowering the rent another $100, find a way to prove out the difference between a good tenant and a great tenant, it probably would be worth it. But there's no way. Because like I said, you can prove out a bad tenant from a good tenant, but you can't prove out a good tenant from a great tenant because you'd have to look inside. In fact, the only way I've ever heard it explained was somebody told me one time that they go and they look at where they used to live. Now, that's that's pretty aggressive right there. <laughs> uh, another person told me uh, they look at their car. Now, that one's 
might be relative. You know, if you got a relevant, they got a perfectly spotless car, then probably a perfectly spotless person. But other than that, do your do your checks and uh, don't discriminate. Okay. Next one says all the passive income from rental properties is tax free. Says Dell repeatedly. Is this true? Some passive income is tax deferred due to depreciation, but all this will be taxed when the property is sold. Saying the income is tax free is repeated by his underlings too. So here's a person complaining. Let's see what his name is. Okay. Here's a person complaining. And this is an interesting point. In life, when you can't figure out how to do something, and this do something is get rich. This guy can't figure out how to get rich, and he can't figure out how to pay low taxes. So in his mind, it's all got to be a scam. When we come back, I'll take a very good period of time to explain to you why it's not. We'll be right back with the Dell Walmsley Radio Show. Wamsley on the economy and politics. What happens if the economy turns around and goes back down now the Democrats are in power or inflation becomes rampant and all of a sudden it becomes very difficult to do business? I was listening to an economist the other day and he pulled out this chart of GDP. He said, look, here's what I want you to do. He said, tell me anywhere from 1950 to 2021 where the Democrats took power and where the Republicans took power. He said, point it out for me. And the truth of the matter is you can't tell. If you're sitting on the sidelines waiting to see what the politicians are going to do or waiting to see what the economy is going to do, if you're trying to predict the future, stop. Politicians and the economy have no bearing on your success or failure. Only you do. Register for the next live online free workshop. We'll unfold the map to retirement in five years or less, regardless of what's going on in the world. It's the same proven strategies we've been using for 30 years through every political party and economic cycle you can think of. Register at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today, we're doing emails, and um, we had one here that... Uh, before we went to break, I read, it said, all passive income from rental properties is tax-free, says Dell Wamsley. It is, is this true? Goes on and says, passive income is tax-deferred due to depreciation, but all this uh, will be taxed when the property is sold. Saying income is tax-free repeatedly by uh, the underlings is also being said. Um, funny situation, this guy actually sent me this email, I had it in here twice, so go ahead and throw that away and go back over here and say this, look, here's, here's the reality of what's going on here, is that this situation where real estate can be depreciated allows for a paper deduction on your tax return, and you can write this depreciation off against your rental income from your real estate, one for one for as much of it is, so you could actually earn as much income from real estate as you could want to, 
and not pay any income taxes on it. Now, we're not paying income taxes on it because we're using depreciation to offset that income tax. Now, we'll get to the deferred part in a second here. You also have to understand we're not paying Social Security tax, nor are we paying Medicare tax, because we don't pay those taxes on real estate. Rental income doesn't pay that. So, all we have to worry about is the income from the from rental income and income from capital gains. So now, Ronald Reagan changed the tax law. It used to be that you could write off as much depreciation as you want. But in 86, he changed the law to where you could only write off up to $25,000 of excess depreciation. Now, that's not depreciation. You can write off as much depreciation as you have, as long as you have rental income to have it offset against. It's excessive excess depreciation that you can't write off past $25,000. That's it. Now, the $25,000 that you can write off goes away if you make between $100,000 and $150,000. It is watered down by $2 for every dollar you make. So, if you make $150,000, you lose the ability to write off any of that $25,000. Now, let's make it more complicated, and that is all unless you're a real estate professional. Now, here's where it really gets complicated, and this is why the guy can't understand it, and it just blows his mind. If you are a real estate professional, you're basically saying you work in the business of real estate, and to qualify for that, you have to earn at least half of your income from real estate investing, and you have to work at least 750 hours in the business. Now, being that real estate is considered passive by nature, and that's why you don't pay Social Security and Medicare tax, the very fact that we are now admitting we work in the business is really contradictory because we still don't pay Social Security and Medicare tax, but we're working in and on our business of real estate at least 750 hours a year. But if we do qualify as a real estate professional, then we can write off all the depreciation we have, no matter how excess it is, against all of our income buckets. And so, we literally can use that depreciation towards our earned income. Now, it only happens if you fall into a very, very small category of people. For example, if you earn your money in real estate through being a passive investor, that is not an active investor, right? You have to work in your business at least 750 hours a year, and it has to earn half of your income from real estate. And so, you can't use excess depreciation. You can still use the depreciation that covers your income from your rental properties, but you can't use the excessive excess depreciation unless you fall into that category of making under $100,000 a year and take a... Um, participate in the $25,000 allotment you can have if you make less than $100,000 a year. All right? Now, let's take it one step further. He's saying, but once you sell this property, you have to recapture that depreciation. And when you recapture that income, you then pay taxes on that income. That would be true if one of two things were not true. Number one, I'm in the 42% tax bracket. So, if I were to use depreciation to offset income taxes, I would have paid 42% on that dollar of taxes. But if I sell the property and then recapture that depreciation, I only have to pay 
on that income. So, it actually drops the amount of income taxes I pay on the money, even after I sell it. But wait, I don't have to sell the property. I can hold on to the property as long as I want. And if I want to sell the property, I could sell it and do something called a 1031 tax-free exchange, where I sell this property and take all those gains that I've not paid taxes on and roll them into the next property. And I could keep that property on and on and on forever, or 1031 into another property. And in essence, never pay the taxes. So, well, what happens then when you die? Do you, do you, do you, does your family pay the taxes? No. In real estate, what happens is they get the property on what's called a stepped-up basis. All of those income taxes that were never paid are not due. They just go away. They just disappear. And the property's new value is whatever the property's worth the day the family inherits the property. So, this gentleman is very frustrated by that. Because, number one, he probably can't understand that tax law. It's very complex. So, he's upset about the fact that he doesn't understand it, and he's upset about the fact that he can't do it. So, it doesn't work for him. And so, he wants to point the finger at me and say, I'm lying, that I'm misrepresenting the facts, saying that real estate can be tax-free. Okay? There's an old saying we use. It's called the three Ds to not paying income taxes on real estate income. Defer, defer, and die. Don't pay it. Roll it forward. Roll it forward. Roll it forward. Die. And those taxes never get paid. So, my friend, I know that makes you very upset. But just the way it is. All right. Next one says, just wanted to say thank you for reading, uh, answering my questions the other day on the air and being honest that you don't have lenders that can lend to people like me uh, that look at risk and now as a result of that risk have not good credit. But I'm now almost at the point after 10 years of waiting, my credit will be uh, restored soon. And I think I'll possibly join your group with utmost respect. I am one who stated you were just hot air on the radio. But I wanted to clarify this, for example, because Sunday morning I was watching a morning church program where a minister had people in wheelchairs that more people with very serious health issues being cured instantly by the touch of the hand. But if it were really happening, why would anyone go to hospital when there is a minister on TV in a huge coliseum with more than 100,000 people all being cured with one touch, and now you're all better because you wanted to believe. If it were really true, would there still be hospitals? On the same broadcast, you talked about how you make everything new so you will have no maintenance issues. But that sounds very expensive and wanted to know if you recommend using or not using home warranty and why. Because to me, changing a working water heater is very expensive. Also, changing the zinc ion rods and cleaning the gas combustion chamber with a vacuum in the water heater will make your heater last a lot longer than 10 years and two days. All right, folks, here's what you got here. I'll answer the guy's question. I don't use warranties because it's an insurance policy. 
and the insurance company is making money off of you. In other words, they're not paying out as much as they're taking in. Just be your own insurance policy. Now, having said that, that's the answer to the question. I don't use it. Now, let's go back and take a little look-see. This gentleman's all about getting in there and cleaning his own water heaters, and he's worried about what a water heater costs because they're expensive. And all that just goes to show that this person has a middle-class to low-class attitude about life. In other words, he's stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. I don't worry about water heaters, right? I worry about buying my next house so I make more money, or buying my next apartment building so I make more money, or buying my next grocery store so I make more money. I'm all about making more money and letting the money pay for the maintenance and the repair, not me doing it. If I would have continued to do that, there's no way I could have got up to over 100 houses. Wouldn't have happened. I couldn't maintain all the houses. When I first started, I tinkered with them. I took care of them. I maintained them myself, and I kind of found some joy in that. You know, being handy and excuse to buy tools and gave me something to do when I didn't have, you know, I quit my job. But man, that got old really quick. And so you can just see this guy is stuck in that low class mentality. And he's thinking in the low class mentality, right? Now he says fixing everything is too expensive. We build all that into the property. When we buy a property, we buy it at a, at a cost that's low enough that we can rebuild everything that needs to be redone, make everything new again so that it won't break for about 10 years. But we fix all that and we make it nice. Best product, best price. And he can't see that because he's looking at it from buying a house himself, putting 20% down, and then putting another 10 or 20 or 30% in, 20 or $30,000 in rehab. We're buying a $200,000 house for $150,000. We're doing $30,000 in rehab. And when we're all done, we own it for $180,000, and it's worth $200,000. We've made $20,000. It didn't cost us a lot to remodel a house. It cost us nothing. The house paid for remodeling itself. And if you don't get that, then you don't get what we're doing. And one of the things I find is really difficult, I used to get really upset about this and make a big point out of it, but nowadays I'm just too old to, to care that hard anymore about people believing I'm right or wrong. It just doesn't matter. Uh, but the thing is, is that people don't want to listen. What they want to do is take two words out of your sentence and two words out of somebody else's sentence and two words out of somebody else's sentence and take all these different ideas they've accumulated from all these people that don't know squat about what they're doing, throw them in on top of your ideas, my ideas, and then want to know why they don't work. They don't work because you're not using the entire system. It's the system that works, not one little partial piece of the system. I've seen people who are in real estate for 10 or 20 years come take the seminar and go, man, I've done it wrong my entire life. And yet, in real estate, it's so forgiving, I still made money. But my gosh, can I even imagine how much money I would have made if I just would have followed your system? That's the reality there. And so today, I hope you can see these emails. I've got four or five more. I'm like, just maybe do another one of these. But um, there's people out there that just are not in the position to understand and to believe what we teach. Hope you had a good day. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. 
Thank you for listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, access past show podcasts, and join the conversation. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.